Welcome to Violet Sessions, a celebration of hybrids in culture, fashion and technology. I'm Danielle Rodoichin. The podcast you're about to hear is a recording of a live event that took place at Violet in East London on 13th of July 2016. In this episode, I'm talking to sci-fi artist Lucy McRae and writer and filmmaker Lotcha Soderlund about their short film, The Institute of Isolation. The film, which is being shown as part of an exhibition at the Science Museum, explores through art whether the effects of living in enforced isolation on the human brain can help us willfully evolve through technology rather than nature. We recorded upstairs at Violet in front of an audience of about 20 people. Here's what they had to say. So welcome, Lucy McRae and Lotcha Soderlund to the Violet Sessions. Um, Lucy, your film, The Institute of Isolation, is the result of a three-month residency at Ars Electronica. It comes from this idea that human evolution is no longer evolving through nature, but through choice. I read a book called Evolving Ourselves by Juan Enriquez, and he... um, he suggests that no longer we're following the theory of Darwin anymore and that we are driving it as humans. So I think that after reading his book and highlighting it like a crazy person, that was where the story of the film started. And you're both really good friends. You've been for some time. What made this the right moment to work together? I was sitting in my studio staring out the window behind my laptop wishing that I could make a different aesthetic visually filmmaking Um, and at the time Lotcha called me and said can I um, I've just bought this new camera can I come around and film you in your studio and I work quite solitary but because it was Lotcha I was like all right then (laughs) so Lotcha came around and that was the same day and I started talking about sort of a frustration of feeling like I I like to constantly challenge myself with new things and if I start to get comfortable then I want to sort of change it so we talked about a different style of storytelling and we we came up with a sort of an idea of creating a hybrid between an observational documentary which Lotcha was kind of skilled at and coming from and I was coming more fictional so um, it was actually Lotcha's idea when I got the residency she just texted me and said, do you want me to film it? And it started from there. So visually, the film is incredibly beautiful. Um, and the aesthetic, I, f- I think, is quite controlled. Um, and the locations really heighten the sense of isolation that the f- film is dealing with as well. Um, and it sort of feels like we're in this world that was abandoned quite a long time ago. Lotcha, what are your visual references for the film? Um, yeah, we started thinking a lot about Wes Anderson, <laughs> indeed. <laughs> like, we wanted everything to be symmetrical. But at the same time, we were trying to kind of replicate um, uh, an observational documentary that w- where we didn't know what was going to happen. So it was kind of combining two really different stylistic kind of visions, I guess, um, that didn't necessarily make sense, but um, they, they seem to make sense now, I think. Is it something that came from your mind? Did you sit down and discuss the aesthetic? Did you storyboard it? How did the process come about? I think you like symmetrical things, Mm -hmm. Lucy, don't you? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
and I'm not very good at symmetry. I'm quite chaotic. And I also quite, you know, I like that in, in documentary, you don't know what's going to happen in your sort of creating and following the story as it goes. And, you know, that, that's a real contrast to a really controlled kind of vision that you want to follow with symmetry. And I think we both found it exciting to kind of combine those two ideas. And what about the locations? I think because, because it was just the both of us working together, we were, we were able to make last-minute decisions in terms of the location. So the locations were storyboarded in the beginning, like ideal locations, and actually all of the ideal locations we were able to get. <laughs> um, we've, we call that technique, what do we call it? Email voodoo. Yeah. <laughs> it, works, it works a treat. So, um, for example, the opening shot was... Um, uh, filmed in Barcelona at Ricardo Bofill's La Fabrica and we had the complete run of the house for two days and I guess prior to finding that location it was just me looking on the internet looking for isolated buildings and silos and, and this building is meant to represent the institute and everything that happens under that roof. Um, so I, the, the concept of the locations and normally I shoot in studios so everything can be really controlled and planned and choreographed. And because we were shooting on location and in some cases in hospitals, we had two hours and we had to make decisions really quickly, which I think brought about a different energy than when things are shot in a studio environment. So what were the other locations? Uh, so we, <clears throat> we shot at the University of Southampton um, in an anechoic chamber and also in their towing tank, which was... It Is hadn't that the been, bit where you're rowing? Yeah. Um, it hadn't been open to the public, and I asked if, if I could swim in there, and he said that was, it was filled with bacteria, so we kind of um, went for plan B, which was rowing in a dinghy. Um, we shot at Kew Gardens in the treetop and in the palm house. Um, Austria? At Austria at a thermal baths um, and a hyperbaric chamber in a hospital. Um, and a, a Catholic church in Highgate wow where was the map the bit at the end where you dive into the water where's that that's in a really obscure very Wes Anderson-esque town in the middle of Austria so we did this kind of epic three-day road trip yeah I think we... you should explain a bit about the trip it gives it a nice sense of context well I think when when we were um driving in the car we were sort of writing the narrative of the film because we were also um, with Ars Electronica and she was producing the film in Austria. So we kind of drove around and would stop. We stayed in a hotel and shot some... Um, <laughs> I woke up in the morning and went into their kind of blushed pink lift and I was like, oh, my God, this would be so good for a, a connecting shot. Because for me, I'm not trained as a filmmaker. I've kind of taught myself. So having just studied films, you always, in my mind, need to connect from going from one place to another. And so in the reception, we were really tired because we'd been shooting in the thermal bath in pouring rain <clears throat> um, the day before. And, and I was like, Lotcher, I think we should... It was 8 o'clock in the morning. I think we should film in the lift. So I kind of opened up the suitcase, got into my flesh-coloured suit, put the swimming cap on and, and did it like a 20-minute um, shot in the lift, which didn't make the film, but we were quite spontaneous... 
So the theme of the film it deals with the with um, this idea of extreme solitude and the effects of that on the human brain, um, and the the character in the film, who you played that character, but I don't I don't know who she is, uh, or if indeed she, it's even female. Um, but we see the protagonist going through what seems to be a routine that she's been doing for some time. Um, what's the backstory? Did you think of the the protagonist in terms of a backstory or before and after? Or what, or what she went on to do after the film ends? I think when, when we wrote the treatment together, I said to Lotcha, it's really important that this film renders in the background my wish to go to space. So we agreed, like, OK, this is about, you know... Big, prior to this, I'd been training um, to be an astronaut for 18 months. I'd sort of set, set myself various daily tasks and was, you know, preparing myself for space and some of my previous projects, the Future Day Spa... Um, we're around that um, so that was always rendering in the background um, and uh, this is the first time that I've actually um, sort of been the person in the film I normally work with people and I'm always behind the camera and I think that happened because it was just the two of us and um, yeah it was it was like a, a, a good way to to get the story across and I think for me, um, I trained in classical ballet <clears throat> and when I, um, I was working at a consumer electronics company in Holland, so I'm darting everywhere in wearable technology and from there I moved into photography and I was using my own body, I was the, the model. So I guess um, I'm, I'm really interested in experimenting on my own body and kind of using myself as a guinea pig. So I didn't really think about like a proper filmmaker should the protagonist and where she'd come from and when we were writing the voiceover Lotcha sort of asked me about my childhood and um how we could weave in sort of the thoughts of what I used to have as a kid and being scared of dying in a dream and things like that which also got cut from the film Hmm. Um, and the mood of the film is quite somber uh almost menacing there's no dialogue but there is an undercurrent there is noise. Can you talk us, to us about the soundtrack? And I think in the film we're kind of exploring the sort of going beyond the boundaries of sensory experience and we wanted to amplify that in the soundtrack. So I guess that's kind of what we were focusing on. Mm. And then we, we did go down that re- kind of route of thinking, are we going to tell a story um, with a voiceover or, mm. or are we not? And so we kind of ended up with a story but it's quite kind of mysterious and um yeah and the, the the soundtrack is really based on yeah amplifying that those sensory kind of chambers that we um experience as as a viewer mm. and also emotions are kind of absent in the film um she's the character seems quite impassive um was that deliberate? Was that a deliberate decision? Um, and were you sort of more interested in this point at the effects of isolation on the body as opposed to the, to the mind? Or is it just that her mind has maybe become numb through the effects of mm. being by herself? <clears throat> we, we constantly have conversations about the mind, the body and the brain. Are they separate? Are they one? And I think from, from that question, I don't really see a separation between those. It's, it was more like the self. Um, and I think... I guess the um, because we were entering those chambers for the first time, I was 
probably working out when we were in there, what am I doing in here? What does this mean for the the film? What does this mean for the concept? And, and I think that the point for me that, of the film is just to not conclude or make any results, but to, to ask more questions and bring this, this concept of genetic engineering, human augmentation to a wider audience in, and see what other people have to say about mm. it. Yeah, because you said in the past how when things in science or medicine don't necessarily make sense to you, you try and make sense of it through your art. I was wondering what you learned through making this film. Hmm. <laughs> I think I'm, I'm still digesting it, and sometimes it takes me one or two years to work out actually what I've made, um, which I, I, I think a lot of artists maybe have that experience as well. But the more pointed questions that I get, and, and even I was just watching a, um, a TED Talk a couple of days ago um, around um, Jenny Doudner, I think, who was the co-inventor of CRISPR, which is kind of like the, the Norton antivirus for the body. And this was a, a TED Talk last June 2015. At the end of her talk, um, they spoke about at the end of December, which was 2015, they're actually stopping all um, genetic testing on human embryos because we don't really know what the consequences are for the for the human body and I find that a really really fascinating area that we all should be discussing the ethics not only the people who are co- you know co-eventing in and creating that so I, I think that um, you know within the film we collaborated with um, a professor from King's College Nicholas Rose Juan Enriquez um, Professor Janini Brad Sanderson, so that um, input from science has been and always is so important to my creative process. Mm. So, and Lotcha, um, mm-hmm. I was interested to hear what you had to say about the effects of isolation on the mind. Um, obviously, there's a precedent if you think about um, monks and hermits, yogis going into isolation um, and using isolation as, as a way of reaching a higher mental state. I didn't. I was wondering if you wanted to talk a bit about your experiences in that area and what your thoughts are on that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, my initial experience with isolation as an inpatient um, of a neurological institution was a forced isolation, and I think um, isolation has quite a negative connotations as a word, but I think it's you know it can be you know and if it is a forced isolation, it is incredibly. Um, painful as an experience but I think if it's a choice so you know the, you know the experience of, of a monk or a mystic or Lucy <laughs> um, it can be an incredibly certainly an enlightening um, it may be painful but you learn so much through that discomfort of isolation I think mm. yeah um, and just moving back to the body, I was thinking about how nice it is to see the body represented in the future as a powerful entity actually physically engaged in something, as opposed, you know, often when we talk about the future, we talk about AI and how there is some uh, computer math brain and we the body has been reduced to a vegetative state. Um, and I was also thinking about, um, Lucy, you're very focused on the aspirations of the body um, and with Lotcha, you're very focused on the mind and how you can empower the mind through meditation and so on. Um, 
you're both coming at it from a quite from a different angle, but it's quite a nice compliment to each other. Um, what are your thoughts, both of you, uh, on how the two can sort of work together? Maybe I'll, I can use an example, which was mm. also what inspired me. Um, perhaps people already know, but Red Bull have a human performance lab and they sent four extremely experienced elite athletes 10 days into extreme um, glacier walking, rock climbing, canoeing, um, and they mapped their brain ten de- the prior and 10 days after. And what they saw was the human, the resilience of the brain changed when they were faced with fear and decision-making. They were able to um, respond quicker. And I think for me... Uh, and the, the question is slightly obscure. Can we design isolation like um, an architect designs a building or a chemist designs a vaccine? And I don't know if that still makes sense yet, but I think about if genetic engineering, you can sequence DNA and um, remove disease or make somebody taller, what are the alternative ways of improving or augmenting the body through physical experience and so I think that um, for me yeah it's like a a, a combined approach of body and mind I don't know what Laksha thinks yeah um, even though you are focused on um, the physicality you are also very connected to what we can do with the mind and um, the immaterial realm um, and yeah, I think I, I sort of think of, of of the physical the physical realm as quite you know I'm a bit I guess I'm a bit negative about it because I'm like well you can just test it and see you know um, <laughs> you know measure it and test it and that's quite really limited. But I know obviously that it you know when it comes to the brain there you can you could go. You know, it's it, it's not limited yet. We, we, there's so much we still need to discover, but I think when it comes to the mind, that there are no limitations, and that that does really excite me. Um, but I I think we we both see um, um, potential for um, expansion in both, and that the both are not um, separate. You know, mm-hmm. they they kind of unite. I heard a quote yesterday that growth happens at the edges of uncertainty and I really I like what that it's quite inspiring to think about that and at this point I wanted to open it up to you guys in the audience um, and ask about what isolation means to you um, if and how you've experienced it um, and what effects it's had on you I guess uh, as a creative isolation would affect you differently than maybe someone else But again, I think it's a case of minds working very differently. And so if your creative process is one where you need quiet or you need reflection, then isolation is very important. Um, But you can also gain isolation in a crowd full of people as long as you don't know anyone there. I guess it's a way of your mind shutting down from the noise around you and isolating yourself mentally. Um, Certainly for my practice, there's very much an element of that where I have to just shut down and sort of sketch things out but I can do that on the tube as much as I can do that in a room on my own I prefer it on my own <laughs> but um, life doesn't always allow that um, but yeah I guess it's, there's a different ideas of what isolation really means hmm. I'll ask a question to you guys if that's okay um, so just going on from this theme of isolation 
first question, did you have the idea of isolation before you started making the film? And if so, during your research and your interactions with all these wonderful scientists, how did you keep this idea of isolation going through the theme whilst... And how much of that film embraced what you found out from the scientists? Do you see what I mean? Mm. Or what, did that change over time when you <clears throat> had that research and you discovered more and more about science? Mm. Did that make sense? Yes, I'll, I'll share the, the, the question with Locha. I think the, the title came after we had started. We, we started brainstorming. I can't remember the moment when it came, but we, I think that was sort of there from the beginning, but not quite... Um, we hadn't started interviewing any experts and the the interviews with the experts came a little bit later after we had started filming so we had began storyboarding but not really deciding where it was going and I think the creative process based on how I worked previously I don't have any finalized idea of what something is going to look like it very much develops as I go so that was really it worked really well with having interviews with these guys as, as we were going along. I definitely feel like um, the research and my creative process is fluid. There's no beginning and end, and I don't feel like this has finished and I would start something very different. I think that a lot of ideas um, that we we spoke about, and some of them were, were so beautifully complex that they were, they were hard to understand. And one question we, we asked Professor Giannini was, do you think that we are headed... We, I was interested in this idea of sexuality being a continuum, almost like a liquid, and, and gender becoming... We're, we're heading towards the same sex. And so he gave two examples, and I will not be able to do him justice as to why that will or won't happen, depending upon... Um, war essentially that's if I remember correctly so in every interview in that 30 minutes we were sort of filming them and looking at each other going wow (laughs) but there was no way that we could capture all of that in this project so I think that this has sort of set um the seed for for hopefully what more um questions will come come out of it Am I allowed one follow-up yeah. remark? Um, I felt like the character in the film was a researcher. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, you talked about being a guinea pig. Um, to what extent is is there a sense that you're aware of the camera and a sense of you know like anyone with a camera on them to give a performance, or at least sit there and think what I'm feeling I must portray so that people can see it. Um, to what extent is it that versus how far can I push myself? Is it, you know, do you get lost in the moment? And, how, you know, how does that feel? Are you an artist in that moment? Are you an actress? Or are you a guinea pig? <sighs> All of the above. <laughs> no, I think because, because Lotcher and I know each other so well, we would, it was just, it was almost, you know, like hanging out in a way. We'd catch a train and we'd, we'd talk about, I don't know, whatever we were talking about but when we started working it was just really easy and it wasn't like it was like we were exploring like wow let's walk this way or let's film this it it wasn't um sort of it it didn't feel rehearsed also because we just didn't have enough time so I guess we just got swept away with the location 
you know, of being at Kew Gardens at 7am in the morning with no one else there, the sprinkler systems on and everyone watering the plants. It was just like a wonderful opportunity. Did you, um, did you interview anyone about being in space? Because in, in space, if you're the kind of isolation of space, but it's where the body of, because the lack of gravity starts to atrophy. So did you talk to, any, did you talk to anyone about that? Uh, not for this project specifically, but I have um, a really good friend of mine, Alexander McDonald, who's an economist at NASA, and we've worked together previously about um, the implications zero gravity has on the body. And within the film, there's a microgravity trainer, which is kind of clearly inspired by old NASA mm. machines and biometric readings of the body. So that didn't happen specifically for this project, but. You know, I feel that there is um, so much, uh, I don't, I want to say not currency, but there's just so much um, uh, by, by studying space and, and developing really advanced technologies, it can radically change the way that we live on Earth. Baby formula nutrients came from space cordless vacuums came from there so I think that um, when art and science unite you don't really know what the what the, the byproducts will come from that and, and it's chaotic and it's exciting and I feel like um, I'm reading Elon Musk's biography at the moment and his intention for SpaceX is to create a settlement on Mars which I find hugely inspiring so if he's intending on doing that and he is so set on that goal who's taking care of can I say humanity how will we procreate in space how will we survive how will the brain adapt to completely unknown atmospheres do we go crazy we can't as in the voiceover and there's an amazing um Dr Alexander Kumar who he's a professor on isolation and he talks about you know we can't uh, measure psychology or people going crazy, but we can, you know, quantify biology, physiology. So I feel like that's, I don't know, I get really excited about that and I, it's not that I have any answers, but I just find it hugely inspiring that there's this frontier ahead of us that is, like, up for grabs. Um, do, do you find that as an artist, isolation is actually something that's quite close to you? as it's part of your practice anyway. So in the film you see you and you've got these kind of routines that you do every day as this patient, as the researcher, but surely all of that comes from your real life. Mm. Does, yeah, yeah that was good the question. <clears throat> for, for the pre-production of the film, I um, moved out of Hackney and lived in Richmond and got a studio on an actual island. Um, so, and for the first half of the day... I just read that book and I sort of had to train myself not to feel guilty for just reading and not responding to people or answering text messages. And it was so productive just to have, like, shut the door and no one else was there and I just created, you know, the storyboard. And I, you know, when I finished it, when I moved back to Hackney, I really missed that isolation. And in previous projects there's that point where you're seeding an idea and you're developing the concept and then because the idea is so big you have to let other people in to in order to realize the idea and that it's almost like this membrane where you open the door and let somebody else in is really really painful 
and then you you start taking it to the next level. So I guess for me that's where isolation is really important. But then it it's momentary because you need to step out of that and let other people in. Um, have you a friend of mine went on the. Uh, I don't know, there's like a nickname for it. It's the Russian plane that does the... The vomit comet. Yeah. So a friend of mine went on that and he, he, he said the... Basically, when it, when it drops and there's no gravity, you've got no sense of your own body. You can't feel yourself physically because you've got no gravity acting on any of the mass of your body. And he said it was like, and he's not really a spiritual person, but he said it's the closest he could feel to the presence of his soul. Because wow. all he could sense was the fact that he was there, but he couldn't feel that he was there. And it took him about a week to recover from having that sensation. I just thought, yeah, mm. it's, I just thought you'd be interested. Yeah. To... Let's go to Neve first and then to Claire. Yeah, is that all right? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of two-part question. Um, my limited understanding of genetic evolution comes from two places, so heredity and environment. And then the additional aspect of you talking about choice. Was the isolation aspect a means of kind of integrating that, or was there a potential in isolation as a mode of genetic development? Or what? what's the reasoning there? I, I also don't... I'm not a scientist and, and have very few skills on it, but Lotcher and I talked a lot about the genome and the phenome, mm. and that was hugely inspiring for us. And probably I won't get it completely right, but obviously the genome is passed down from, you know, your parents, and the phenome is the material or the behaviour to that environment. And I think that this concept of designing an isolation... Um, or an experience of isolation, could that change your genetic makeup and then part that information through generations as opposed to it happening in the lab? But also in response to what you were saying about space and beauty and I think vulnerability, which also happens in isolation, that kind of extreme vulnerability um, does kind of um, confront you with a sort of spiritual sense, I guess. Um, so that was more in relation to the previous question. But, yeah, there's strange sort of unexpected connections between all of these ideas. Um, I just was really struck by how um, positive the idea of evolution and change is in the film and how we're of often really... Um, scared of technology and how it affects us and so I just it was more of a comment just that I thought that was really exciting to see that perspective and to think of the that happening in that way as um, you know an exciting opportunity as opposed to something that we're all afraid is going to you know ruin humanity ah. <laughs> so yeah it's amazing thank you <laughs> Um, so it's more just like about isolation as a theme because I find it quite interesting. I haven't given it much thought, but I think it's interesting that like isolation, someone said something stuck with me tonight, which was isolation has negative connotations. And I think for me it's interesting because even when you're in a crowded environment, um, you can still feel isolated. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So in, like, social aspects, um, isolation isn't really given much credence only 
when you think of isolation, you know, first thing that might come to your head is like, you know, prison or Guantanamo Bay and these, how, what's the psychological effects? But I think even if you're with a partner and you feel extremely isolated from them, can have also very deep, profound, negative psychological mm. effects on them. So I think we also have to adjust our uh, sociological understanding, almost anthropological understanding of what isolation is as a term in society, because I think it adjusts based on the paradigm, meaning what situation and aspect we're in. Mm. And I think isolation as a negative term maybe doesn't have to be all the time, but it can be even in a personal environment, especially even in a crowded environment. Like, imagine you're in a room full of people that you don't feel comfortable with. That's one of the most isolating feelings I've ever had. So that's mm. just a comment. I have. Yeah. Another comment. Yeah. Based on what you just said, um, I guess there's building on that. There's the idea of if you crave isolation and you can't get it and you're surrounded by people, that in itself is negative. The isolation itself could be a positive thing. But if you're craving that feeling of isolation, say you've had an argument with your partner or something, you need to be on your own. Feeling like you, you don't have that escape can feel quite can be the limiting thing and the quite sort of um, isolating thing, if you will. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Lucy McRae and Lotta Sutherland. It was a real pleasure. <laughs> And thank you to Claire Patak for hosting us and for the amazing food. Yay. Thank you. That was Lucy McRae and Lotcha Sutherland talking about their film, The Institute of Isolation. I'm Danielle Rodeutchen. Thanks so much for listening and stay tuned for more Violet sessions coming soon. With special thanks to Claire Patak at Violet and Warren Borg for the audio. See you next time. Bye-bye.